Let us pray together. Lord, I want to pray for my brother here that God, you will bless him and guide him. It's been a, a busy week, but I thank you that God, though he's busy, that God, he will make time to study your word. May your word come alive, Father, to him and through him to us. And I pray that God, we will respond to your word in 2 Timothy. Open our hearts, open our mind. Fill, fill us, Father, with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to start soon. Um, this is a passage I've struggled for four weeks, one week more than usual. I'll tell you why. We're going to read this passage and you will know why. Uh, in fact, someone asked me when I shared this, uh, my prayer request, they, uh, she asked whether there's a, there might be a conspiracy that I'm given this kind of topic. <laughs> right. well, I don't know, you, you, you see. Oh, maybe it's this. Eh? It's not. Um, ah, okay. All right. Let's read this. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one to nine. But mark this: there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sin and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, they are folly will be clear to everyone. And the message is, challenge to be diligent. Uh, it's, it's quite a challenge to connect uh, the passage with uh, the title. But first, let's do a word study. All right? You will see what I've uh, highlighted in yellow and red. Mark this. There will be terrible times. Last things, I want to get this uh, to you first before I, I go to the sermon proper. I don't think this is working, uh, so I'll need help, yes. But mark this. This is written empathically. Uh, it, it's like Paul saying, you can be very certain of this. You better pay attention to this. They are like words underlined in red. Mark this. Mark what? There will be 
perilous times, or in your version, it could be there are terrible times. And if you look up the strong concordance uh, of the Greek word, it is uh, chalepos, uh, and the meaning of this word is grievous, hard to bear, it's distressing, it is difficult. Mark this in the last, there will be terrible times. And there is only one other time that this word is used in the New Testament and you can find it in Matthew 8, 28 to 39. Remember the story about Jesus uh, going to the other side of the lake uh, and the, the, the Gerasenes and he met two men who were demon-possessed and Jesus had to cast out from them 2,000 demons in, into the swines and they destroyed themselves. Uh, and in your version, as, as is in mine, the word chalapos is translated in English as exceedingly fierce. So when you... The, the, uh, I, I find that very interesting that uh, the demon possess this story of the demon-possessed man, this terrifying uh, incident, this violently crazy, ferocious man, uh, the word used for, for them, the two men, is the word that is linked to the terrible times in the last days. I, I find that very intriguing. I, I think that understanding this story will give us the, the context of what perilous times is. Is, is really terrifying, all right? Okay, let's look at the third word, which is the last days. Are we living in the last days? You know, looking at that list, uh, I would have thought that, yeah, I, I think we are living in the last days because people are, are lovers of money, boastful, proud, and uh, the, the individual characteristics, of course, uh, I, I don't need to elaborate. I'm not going to go through all 19 of them. Uh, so what? All right. Uh, sorry, so let, let, let me go back. All right. I'm I'm looking at this word. I'm jumping ahead. Uh, the this phrase uh, refers to the period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. And I come to this conclusion because uh, several times the word the last days were used. So. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, in the upper room, when, when the Holy Spirit came upon uh, the, the people in the upper room, uh, said that the coming of the Holy Spirit was a sign of the dawn of a new era in God's salvation, uh, as predicted in, in Joel, in Joel uh, 2, 28. In the last days, there will be outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The second time uh, I see this is in the, where the writer of Hebrews said that in the past, God spoke to us in various ways at different times uh, through the prophets and angels and whatever. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And so the last days, I want to suggest to you, refers to this period uh, after the Lord returned and when the Lord will return again. This period, you can say that it's a very, very long period. Yes, it seems long to us because we are, uh, you know, we are creatures of time, but in God's economy, in all eternity, this, this is just a very short period, last days. Now, now we look at 
the list, the next part. What will people look like in the last days? Okay, verse 2, I've, I've broken it down. Terrible time, last days, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, boastful, abusive, disobedient, without love, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, wretch, conceited. That's a terrible list. In fact, if you ask me, uh, you know, what is this, this descriptive of? Uh, in the past, I would, this is how I teach, in the past I say that, this is about the people out there. Look at the terrorists. Look at what they are doing. And it really fits the description of what is happening in Europe and all around the world. Uh, but I don't think I'm, I'm right. Although it is true that society at large is uh, heinous, there are people, uh, the people of the world are indeed more wicked, more murderous and sadistic and shockingly hateful, vengeful, psychotic, there are a few words there to suggest that they are, is, we are not talking about the people out there, but the people among us. Isn't, isn't that shocking? Well, the next slide. Because in, in yellow, all right, Paul wrote to Timothy, write this, and he mentioned that these are the people who have a form of godliness. You see, they are religious people. They, they, are, they worship with us. They know how to talk the religious language. But they deny this, this power of the Holy Spirit. And they are the people who have some kind of control and influence. They are the teachers. They are able to worm their way into homes. They are able to uh, uh, influence people who are more gullible. And these teachers oppose the truth. And we are also told not to have anything to do with these people. Now, if you, you tell me, is this the kind of stand Paul would take? Have nothing to do with these outsiders? Of course not, because, look at it, next slide. The next slide. Yes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 9 to 11, Paul had previously told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, 9-11, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or uh, idolaters. In that case, you will have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be brothers or sisters but who are sexually immoral or greedy and idolaters and slanderers, drunkards, or swindlers. Do not even eat with these people. So, you see, it's very consistent, right? So, the second Timothy chapter 3 passage have nothing to do with them. He's not talking about the people out there. He's talking about people near us, among us, which is, again, very shocking. Um, now, I want to talk to you about something uh, to explain how this can happen. You know, I have read this passage so many times, and I don't know about you, I've read this very quickly, sometimes taking mention of it when I preach eschatology, but I don't pay very much attention to this, because it's, it doesn't describe me, and I certainly don't think it describes my church friend. So I think it's just for information. 
But I don't think, I don't think so. Let's look at, since it's now, now we know that it's descriptive of, of, of Christians, we have to pay attention. How can we get into this state? Will we ever become like this? Is it possible? Well, I have to talk about prophecy now. Now, you are very familiar with prophecy. We have, we have uh, preached about this on stage uh, here in PPH many times. Now, prophecies are given not to... Uh, prophecies are given to forewarn us, not to inform us. And uh, the next slide. Yeah, okay. So, there are... Uh, you, you will know that this appears in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. All right, it's, it's three accounts, but this is Jesus' account uh, of what it will be like in the last days. And I can categorize it into three types of, of uh, things that could ha- would happen in the last days. First, uh, natural calamities, there will be great earthquakes and famine, and there will be pestilence. Pestilence will be like pandemic, contagion, epidemic, disease plagues. There will be the roaring and the tossing of seas, tsunamis and really of the, the proportion that will kill hundreds of thousands and, and things like that. Fearful events, great signs from heavens, uh, climate warming and things that we, uh, we, we can't really explain. We're trying to understand and trying to control. Uh, on the, the man-made disaster, uh, the, uh, what will happen in the last days is that we will, we will see a lot more wars. And, and we have in the last, uh, even the last few uh, centuries. Don't talk about 2,000 years. On the international scenes, nation will be, nations will be against nations. And this will be, uh, we're talking about tensions, uh, international conflicts, disagreement. Do you not read that in the papers? On the, at the local scene, at the national level, there will be uprising and political unrest insurrection, Luke chapter 21-9. So you see, it's a very unstable world, uh, internationally and nationally. Ah, on the right-hand side, we pay very little attention to what happens on the right-hand column, which is the moral crisis, apostasy. Matthew 24, verse 10 and 11, at this time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other and there will be many false prophets who will appear and deceive many. And Mark chapter 13, verse 12 says this, brothers will betray brothers to death and father his child and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And Mark 24, verse 12, let me read that for you, it's cut off, sorry. Mark 24, verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love, and the love here is agape, the love of, not some, the love of most will grow cold. You pay attention to this. Everything on the right-hand side because today's message is really to highlight this part of prophecy that we, uh, we don't pay enough attention to. Now, since we are talking about love, let's talk about love now, right? Let me, uh, I have uh, done some uh, reading and research. I know uh, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek uh, has a four terms to describe love. Uh, it is filial love, which is uh, friendship love, 
brotherly love. They have a stroge, which is dutiful love, uh, family love be- between uh, child and, and uh, parents, with parents to children and, and all that. It's, it's familiar love. It is dutiful love. Uh, eros is, of course, romantic love, which can be very beautiful. On the right-hand side, we are introduced to the love called agape love. This is, this is God's love. It's divine love. It is superior love. It is unconditional love. It's mature. It is sacrificial. It is giving. True love is always other people, other directed. And it is self-giving. Uh, uh, agape love seeks to understand your circumstance and you'll find a way to respond to your need. So you see, it's very giving. It's very outward-looking. Now, why do I say here that it is, one is unconditional, one is conditional? Uh, you know, actually, uh, human love is conditional. You can say, no, no, but the, the love between uh, 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 parents and children uh, is, is very, very strong. But no, it is, it is still conditional. I once uh, was seen by a, uh, a, a client consulted me. Uh, his son, an adult son, 29, going on 30, had just passed away. And I felt so sorry for them. Uh, very, very sensitive about uh, approaching this topic because I had to do uh, the probate, uh, the apply for the letters of probate for them. And then after talking and they warm up to me, they said, well, actually, Edwin, I want to be frank with you. Yes, we are Christians, but actually, um, it was, it's not so difficult for us. Uh. This son has given us a lot of grief in the past two decades. We have built him out again and again and again. We have, we have exhausted all our savings. He has drained our energies. We are so disappointed with the son. But, of course, thank God, in the last two years, he did come back to the Lord. You know, this is a Christian family, right? So he left and he came back. And it was very, very painful. It was very difficult for us to accept him back. And now he's dead. Uh, of course, we feel a bit sad as parents, but, you know, it's not so difficult. <laughs> you know, you, so love is actually conditional, conditional on, uh, on whether it is reciprocated, whether, you know, it is, it is reasonable. <laughs> you know, it's, it cannot be like, I, I pour so much and I give so much and I'm so accommodating and forgiving and giving and then, I'm bitten and I'm betrayed. And so, you see, uh, human love is like this. But thanks be to God, now we have agape love. Right? I'm going to elaborate on this later, right? I'm just, I'm just talking about uh, the limitation of human love. Human love can be influenced. I'm going to share about that also. Now, there's a third kind of love which I will not show you until we look at this list again, alright? Let's look, go back to this list, this horrible list, a description of terrible people. On the left-hand side, read with me on the left-hand side. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days people will be. You look at the uniting features in this list. Now this, the part I highlighted in yellow stood out for me. So I, I highlighted it and, and underlined this. Do you see that 
there is something about, something wrong about this kind of love. Look at the root of their affection and the deep loyalties of their heart. There is a deep-seated problem of the heart. Self-love. This is a description of love misdirected. So I say that then this is the third category of love. It is not agape, which is on this side, not the, the love that we are familiar with, which is human love. There is a third category. And I want to suggest this to you, okay? The opposite of agape love is not hate. The opposite end of agape love is self-love. And self-love is no love. First, look at verse 3. They are without love. It is totally dark. Um, let's have the next slide. I want to highlight this because Jesus said it, that in the last days, the love of most, the love of most, which is really many, and this is agape love will grow cold. Uh, you know, distorted love looks like this. I put it in the left-hand column. Everything is evaluated based on self-benefit. Sin, this is what sin does to us anyway. Sin causes us to be selfish, self-centered. We are self-focused, self-absorbed. Sin causes us to be obsessed. Obsessed with what we want, what we feel, what we need. It's, sin causes us to want to exist as the center of our world. And we want our feelings to be understood. We want our feelings to be addressed, our wants to be satisfied, our needs to be met. Sin is very... Uh, so, you see, we, 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 when, when we are sinful like this, we are very demanding and ex, uh, expecting and I put here on the second, the blue column, that human love depends on the environment, whereas true love affects us. Let me just explain to you what I mean. Human love is very neutral. If you are a Christian and you are completely just overwhelmed with the love of God, and you understand, you know, you are infused with the love of God, this agape love can affect the human love. We will love our children differently. We will love our friends differently. Uh, you know, even erotic love will be different. We will not uh, be using people uh, to satisfy our sexual desires and everything will be different. So, you see, filial love can be affected by agape love. Human love can also be affected by this corrupted love. So, true love is constant. It is... Um, you know, it, it is consistent. It is immovable. Uh, it affects the environment. It overwhelms. Human love can be affected. It's shifting. Whereas self-love corrupts the environment. It can only do bad. Now, I want to convince you. Uh, uh, have the, the next slide, please. I'll convince you that this is really important, this part of the sermon. Whenever I talk, when I'm always here, you know, I always talk about spiritual warfare. Every sermon, you can expect it. 
Because I am so convinced we cannot not talk about spiritual warfare. It is so real. And the, the strategy of the devil is to, to take our mind off him and off what he's doing. So I cannot not mention this. There is there's a battle of two cultures. All right. What God does and what Satan does. What God does is that he is doing something in us to transform the way we think by the work of the Holy Spirit, of course. And the transformation takes place by the truth of God's Word. And, and then we will be able to see ourselves as we really are, as God sees us. Then our significance is found in our identity because of this identity God gives me and everything will be different. We will be loved and we are able to transmit love. Uh, you know you know what I mean? Now, the, what Satan does is the complete opposite. Satan uses culture as a mole and he squeezes all of us into the same mole to conform us to this world. What Satan does is this. He seeks to replace our identity in the Lord with our identity in things. When we, we find our identity in things, uh, achievement, success, possession will be prized. It's very important. That is why we constantly try to prove ourselves in what we do and what we have and we are always trying to prove to, to have this sense of significance. This is what the devil does. It's a counterculture. And I tell you, the devil is doing a very good job in this. I tell you, even the most mature Christians, and I'm, I'm constantly bombarded by this too because I live with lawyers, I interact with lawyers, and I see, I go to the friends of lawyers, and when I see what they have, or how they are doing, I, all these feelings will come back again that, uh, maybe I should. Oh, why am I not? And uh, how do I impress? And it's, it's that because I'm finding my significance in the things I do and what I have, I'm squeezed into the more of the world and I'm constantly having to prove myself. Uh, and then the Lord will bring me back to renew the mind, your identity in Him. You are significant. You're complete. You're loved. You don't need this, you know, I will always have to come back. Now, uh, I want to, like I say, convince you that this is very, very important. Let's have the next slide. You know, uh, we have, uh, in big and small ways, bought into what the, Satan has to offer. And what Satan offers is a belief system. It's very important because our beliefs are the basis of our value system and our value is what determines our decisions, our spending, what we pursue, what is important to us and our choices, our action. So if we adopt the culture of the world, I call this the world system, then our significance will be from the world and we will constantly have to prove ourselves. And this is what, why God told, uh, you know, through the prophet Jeremiah, how he's so grieved by the people of Israel. These people, my people, Jeremiah 2.13, they have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me. And then, 
and me, the, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is the cisterns that the world offers, that Satan offers. Hold no water means that you, you can never arrive. You always have to prove yourself and to, uh, to justify yourself and to, to show, you know, it's, in, in, it's something you own or what you can accomplish and the certificates you can, uh, you can display or whatever. You always have to do it, all right, to, to prop your, your ego. Next slide, please. The love of Moses Groko, how I, I want to show you um, the, the two, two cultures. Now, it's, this is Satan and, and God working, battling. This is, this is not playground, this is battleground. The world and the word. Satan used the weapon of culture, God used the weapon of scripture. And uh, Satan operates in the realm of deception. Uh, but God conquers by the truth. Uh, you can read this, uh, John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth conquers uh, deception and slave. Uh, Satan will say, be different, you know, just uh, differentiate yourself and, and do something different and so that then you, you can stand out, be different. But God say, no, be distinct, and you are distinct. First uh, Peter two nine, you are chosen, chosen generation. You are royal, royal priesthood. You are holy, you are peculiar, right? And and you are distinct. And I want to show you now this part uh, in this part of the sermon how the culture. This is the left hand side how uh, culture is creeping into the church. Uh, uh, try not to read everything, all right? I, I should have put it in three slides. Look at the top, individualism, okay? Individualism, the philosophy of this culture is, well, others don't matter. Let's go it alone. It encourages isolation, privatism, uh, which, by the way, the, the dictionary of, of uh, meaning of privatism is that you are non-committal, you are non-uninvolved, non-participatory, uh, no need to know, you don't need to ask, um, I don't need to care, I'm free, I'm autonomous, I, I'm myself, I'm, I'm accountable to myself, it's between me and God. And, you know, and this culture is actually, when I just taught, just reflect on this, I find that it is already rampant in this in church. You know, and people say that it's just between me and God. Uh, there is an individualistic cast to it. You know what Proverbs 18.1 says? Proverbs 18.1 says, the one who has isolated himself seeks his own desire. Proverbs 18.1 The one who has isolated himself seeks his own desire. Individualism. An expression of self-love. Now the second one, secularism. Uh, the philosophy of secularism is, uh, well, God doesn't matter. Uh, no, it's, it's not, as I put here, it's not that they don't believe in God, it's just that 
He is not really needed. It's not that God doesn't exist, it's just that He's not essential. It's not that He's not real. Uh, He's real, but He's not so relevant. So this is secularism. Uh, The culture has also creeped into the church. Uh, You know, Joseph Stowell, in one of his books, uh, you know, uh, in America, they have this, um, uh, this very important, the national prayer event, usually attended by the the President of the United States of America. So it's a big thing. Uh, uh, all the pastors who are prominent will be there, all right? And, and other religious... Anyway, any, everybody who's important will be at, at this national prayer event. And he said that in one of those events, after 9-11, it was that, that prayer event immediately after September 11. And the prayers, the speeches that were made were so obvious that they have, they dropped Jesus out of their prayer and they were talking like we should be inclusive. We should not say that we, have the, the, we are the only way, we have the only way to God. There are many expressions. Of, they were talking like that in the prayer event. So that's why he said, well, it's very obvious. We are back. God is back. We're spiritual again. God is back, but Jesus is not. That was what he wrote in the, in the book. And that uh, uh, when every time something like that is said, all, everybody was standing on their feet. There would be a standing ovation. That he, he felt so awkward. He said he, he just couldn't stand. To stand is to agree with what is said. It is not correct. And so I said that, uh, uh, the speech was like that, you know, that no religion has the final and exclusive right uh, as, as having the, the only true God. The message is that the only way Jesus is dangerous, divisive, intolerant, arrogant. And uh, I tell you, it, is, it will creep into the church because now we are the culture is like that. Tolerance, inclusiveness, racial harmony. You know, they visit us and we visit them and we'll do what they do and we don't force them and we don't try not to talk about Jesus. And this is exactly what happened. One of, in one of the events organized by my friend's church, in Queenstown Baptist Church, the the church was, because it's, you know, racial harmony, right, invited to uh, uh, sing for them uh, in one, as, as one of the items, uh, in the, the, the national, uh, Christmas, Christmas. It was Christmas. So they practiced, the choir put up an effort because they were invited to the community to sing. And just a f- two or three days before the event, the organizers requested to have a list of their songs. So my, my pastor friend gave them the list of my songs. They vetted through the list. And the feedback was this, can you remove this song, this song, this song, this song? And can, for this song, can you don't sing these stanzas? And they look at it. Nah. Every one of those songs had references to Jesus. Can you sing something more neutral? My, my friend was so troubled <laughs> that he called me. 
what do you do? You are so successful in Taban Garden. You have this problem. I said, we have no problem. Yeah, we have full service and all that, but I sympathize with you. This is new, all right? This is not organized by your church, right? It's organized by them, and you're just invited to, to their event. Okay, I tell you what. You, you talk to them. You cut down on a few songs, but you will tell them that some of these songs you will sing. So they say, okay. You follow my advice. When the organizers heard that they were not compromising enough, they, their event was not uh, put on stage. It was originally supposed to be on stage. They were uh, asked to sing in the corner because, I mean, the event is very big, right? Christmas, is, there's so many stations. They were asked to perform at uh, uh, a corner. They were not given the PA system. Originally, they were supposed to be on stage with mics and all that. At the corner, and you just sing quietly. Yeah, so, you know what I mean? But I tell you, it's it, it, because of things like that, that it, it, when it, it creeps into the church, we, we feel that, ah, yeah, don't be offensive. Lah. Maybe in Teban Garden, don't, don't sing so many of this Christian song, Jesus thing. Let's be a jingle bell. And I mean, after all, we are in Teban Garden. We, 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 we should not offend anybody. I'm glad we didn't do that. We did talk about it in the diaconate whether it should be watered down, but we didn't water it down. But can you imagine in the years to come, in your generation, how would you decide? Okay, let's talk about the third one, consumerism. Okay, this is culture. Another expression of the culture of the day. Consumer, consumerism, the philosophy of consumerism, what matters is me. And the defining feature of this culture is your rights, your choices, your wants, your goals, your dreams, your desires, your happiness, fulfillment, your interests, your opinion, your entitlement, your convenience. And has worldliness creeped into the church? I want to suggest to you, it has creeped into the church. I will tell you how. It is called spiritual consumerism. When we make discipleship very difficult, people stop attending. When we have to, the churches are trying so hard to come up with interesting programs for the people because otherwise they will go to another church. They have so many options. And if they don't like the taste of the sermon here, they will go to another church. And if there is a conflict with another member in this church, instead of resolving it in church, they will go to another church. Because there are so many types and variety and places and to suit you. So it has creeped into this church. It's an attitude. I'm talking about an attitude, right? Consumerism. Psalm 36 verse 1 and 2. Psalm 36, 1 and 2. Sin speaks to the wicked in their hearts. They have no fear of God. They think too much of themselves so that they don't see their sin and hate it. You know, because it's, so, it's just so full of themselves. They're just, it's, the, it's a blind spot. It's a black spot. They just can't recognize that this is wrong. Right? Psalm 36, verse 1 and 2. Now, as I said earlier on, this is battleground. This is not playground. Um, the, these verses 
tell us that something is happening in the invisible realm. 2 Corinthians 2.7, the secret of lawlessness is already at work. 1 John 5.19, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Whole world. This is the extent of his influence. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says, this is prophecy, clearly says that in the latter times, our time, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits taught by demons, by the culture of the world. You know? 2 Peter 2, 2 to 22, many will follow their depraved conduct and they will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. And these teachers will be expert in greed. They have left the straight way and wandered off. 2 Timothy 4.1. Remember? Demons. We talk about demons. Demons, because he loved the world, has deserted me. And I thought, this is interesting. Do you know that at the time of the writing of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy Paul was writing from Rome to Timothy in Ephesus. And in Revelation 2.4, there is a... Jesus spoke about the church of Ephesus that they have lost their first love. What's happened? Even as Paul was writing this, warning Timothy so that, of course, it is to be instructed and passed on, the Ephesus church was a casualty of the loss of agape love. They have grown cold. Now, the challenging part of the sermon is, what has all this to do with diligence, right? And I come up with this. I think, in view of all that I've said, and what the enemy is doing to us, and how the enemy is gaining ground, we have to be diligent in two areas. One, we have to be diligent in the word. Uh, I want to explain this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him uh, diligently. Or diligently seek Him. Just, just look at Hebrews first. All right, don't. Just block out the other, the other two verses. Hebrews 11 says that, you know, that faith is essential. Of course, we know that, right? Faith is necessary. But diligence is also essential. Some people say, uh, okay, the second verse, uh, consequently, faith comes from the hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Okay, so some people say that faith comes from the hearing of the word of God. Well, it is not exactly what Paul said. It's not complete. What Paul says is this, faith comes from the word, no, what, what comes from the word of God, like what I'm doing now, what comes from the pulpit, what comes when you read the Bible, is, uh, is hearing. You, you, you are now hearing the word of God. What comes from hearing is faith. Let me just, let me just explain this. I know it's very confusing. There are two stages. 
you expose yourself to the Word of God with your attentive ears now, you are listening to this sermon, so what first comes is hearing. You are hearing. Then your hearing will develop faith when it is real and applicable. The message is heard through the rhema about Christ. The word about Christ. What is rhema? In the Greek, there is a difference between word and word. Logos word and the rhema word. The rhema word is the specific word that you hear from the Holy Spirit to you. So, you can read and read the whole Bible many, many times and you, if you're not open to what the Spirit is talking to you about, you will have no rhema word. You just have the Logos word and you're just more informed and more intelligent and uh, you just know more the word. It's not rhema word. So, faith comes from hearing, which is what you're doing now, and then the message is heard through the rhema. It's God speaking to you now. What is the Holy Spirit in? Planting in your heart right now, that is the one that will bring faith. Right? And so, it's the same. Matthew 4 4 has this, this word, Rhema. Man shall not live by bread alone, just bread, but by every Rhema word that produce, that proceeds from the mouth of God. What transforms us is the living word, not just the word. Spoken word, just the sermon. No, it's the living word, word by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, what is this thing about being diligent in the word? I'm, I want to exhort you, brothers and sisters, be diligent in cultivating hearing. Be diligent in seeking Him. First, you've got to spend time in the word. Then He can speak to you when you are spending time in the Word. But we have to be diligent. Do you notice that, uh, well, when you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, right, verse 6 and 7, uh, so the, 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 the first part, verse 2 to verse 5, there are people who, don't have love, right? It, it, they, they, are, they lack the love. The second part, verse 6 and 7, they lack the word. They are not affected by love. They are not affected by the word. So, these, the reason why these false teachers are able to work their way into people's homes and to win their confidence, confidence of this vulnerable woman who are burdened with guilt, controlled by different desires. They, such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. It reflects the attitude of this group of people. I don't like the teaching of this church. It's just too condemning. And it's not, not encouraging. And then they will go to another church uh, with this new teaching and it's, it's so uplifting. It is so full of grace, so accepting. And so people will go around looking for churches, the type of church that will give them what they want. So 
if we are not diligent in the Word, if the Spirit of God cannot teach us, the world, the culture of the world will tutor us. So you choose, right? Let's uh, move on. The second challenge is this, not just to be diligent in the Word, but to be diligent in love. I read for you 1 Peter 1.22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, what, this, is, this is very important. Follow, try to follow me. Peter is saying that God has not simply called us to endure the refining fire of sanctification now that you're you have purified yourself because earlier on it's, it's, it's about all this suffering and, and purification. But He has ordained us to incarnate His love and to live out His life. And brothers and sisters, there is no location on earth, no family, no situation, no relationship here on earth where love is not needed. Why? Because sin has caused so People to be so selfish and so self-centered, so self-focused. In fact, I, when I spoke to not just the principal, you know who, uh, from this church, but um, uh, some teachers I know, what is the greatest challenge now as an educator? You know, uh, these, are, these are the educators who have been in the business for a few decades. They tell me, and quite consistently, that the greatest challenge today is unreasonable parents <laughs> and very demanding parents. <laughs> okay. uh, I, it, it is like that. They, they only care about their child's needs. How their, ch their, their child is feeling, whether what is good for their child. And it's so hard. They expend so much energy to tell them this is not the way we do things. Um, John, 1 John 4, 16 to 17. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is... This is the way we have confidence on the day of judgment because we can tell God on the day of judgment. On this earth, we live like Jesus. Now, we have to appreciate, uh, you know, the nature of God and what God is doing. Right? Just, just hold this slide first because the next slide is very nice. Just hold, just hold this slide first. We have to appreciate, uh, you know, God's nature in order to appreciate what God is doing. Uh, you know, on a, on a very clear night, I mean, a cloudless night, and when, you, when there is a full moon, it's very beautiful. Sometimes it, uh, it, well, sometimes it, it, it looks very, very far, but, but it's possible for the moon to, to look really big depending on, you know, um, yeah, you know. So, the moon, the moon only reflects 
the light that comes from the sun. Now, do you notice that when you look into outer space, you see a bright moon and everything around it is dark? Have you looked at pictures of outer space where, where you see a few stars and, and all that, you know, the pictures of outer space and then everything around it is dark? Now, how is it possible? Because, you know, the sun is emitting lights into the universe and outer space. There's light everywhere, all right? And, uh, and yet it's all dark. The reason is that if, even though there's, <laughs> there's a lot of sunlight emitted from the sun, light is invisible. Light is invisible until it hits the moon and then it lights up. Then we, then we see the brilliance of the, this, the powerful rays of the light. Right? Now you can show the beautiful picture. Ah, okay, it's just like that. Right? <laughs> it's all dark except the beautiful moon. Right? Now, there is no trace of the sun's rays until it catches something, the moon. The space is completely empty and there is nothing to catch the light until there is a reflective surface like the moon. Now, why am I giving you this horrible <laughs> illustration? It's because I want to tell you that you've got to understand the nature of God and you've got to understand the nature of the people of God. Next slide. The nature of God. In Him was life and the life was the light of man. God is light. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. The true light, which is God, that gives light to everything was coming into the world, talking about Jesus Christ, John 1, 9. And in 1 John 1, 5, in Him, there is no darkness. This is God. This is light. The true light cannot be overwhelmed. It's powerful. It's, it's constant. Let's look at the nature of the people of God. It's like, the nature of people of God, now that we are people of the light and we have come into the light. First Peter 2.9 says this, We are a people of His possession that you may proclaim the excellency of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. You see, now we, we get the light. First uh, Thessalonians 5.5, For you are all, all children of light. You are children of the day. Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now, now you are light in the Lord. You walk as children of light. And lastly, 1 John 2.10, anyone who loves his brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing that will make him stumble. You know, we have a new nature, brothers and sisters. Thanks be to God, we have a new nature. We are now light reflectors. When we walk in the light, we will reflect God's light. We are reflectors of God's light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16 says this, you are the light of the world uh, because we receive God's light. We, you are now the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. And you know, the sun doesn't shift. Uh, 
no, go back. <laughs> not, not yet, yes. You know, we are... The sun doesn't shift. Um, and if there is a shadow, sometimes, you know, like the moon is just a crescent. If there's a shadow, it is because the moon shifts, <laughs> the sun doesn't shift. The earth shifts because we are... We are, we are uh, is rotating around the sun. God doesn't shift from this per- perfect position. The light of God is ceaseless. When there's a shadow, it's because we have moved. And what Satan, our enemy, wants to do, and just doing, is doing quite a good job, is causing us to shift, of course. Get out of the light. There is another world out there you have always been raised in church and, and indoctrinated by the church. Have you, have you seen what is out there? Have you read the philosophies of the world? So parochial. So don't be so ignorant. There, there is some, there's more outside. So we shift. When we shift, the light no longer reflects because we have moved and there's shadow and we live in darkness and, and we, we, we bought into his lie. This is what happens, right? And uh, the next slide. Now you can put on the next slide. All right. How do we know that we are living in the light? I would say that uh, there actually there are two tests. I have no time. So the first test is the test of obedience, but the second test is the test of love. Matthew 5, 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. You are to shine before others so that they may see your good works and then they give glory to the Father. It's always like that, right? Uh, the, the, the sun has greater glory. Uh, the, uh, when you see a beautiful painting, you, you like the painting and you, you, you praise the painter, uh, uh, God gets the glory. They will see your good works and they give the glory to your Father. First John 2, 7 to 11, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brothers and sisters is still in darkness. But anyone who loves his brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing to make him stumble, but anyone who hates his brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because darkness has blinded them. You see, when we shift, we are in darkness and we are blind. We cannot see anymore. We cannot understand anymore. Now, um, I'm going to end the sermon now. I always end my sermon with a bonus, right? A story. You know, you have... um, You've heard of uh, this guy, the next slide, Eric Lindell. I, I just can't get this slide right, so it's, it's, it's in this form. Eric Lindell, you know, uh, you know Chariots of Fire. We, his story has been told so many times, the Scotsman who uh, went to the Paris Olympic and then he refused to run on Sabbath because he wanted to honour the Lord and then because he couldn't run the, uh, every, it was an uproar especially from his countrymen who called him a traitor you know he was supposed to run for the glory of, the, of Scotland and you know now you just give up the chance and, but anyway this part of the story you know <laughs> the part of the story you don't know I'm going to tell you you know actually Eric's parents were missionaries uh, in China so he was actually raised in China and uh, when they were older, they were sent back to Scotland, the uh, boarding school. Uh, and then uh, he was always very athletic uh, and then 
Uh, he was selected to run for the Olympics. So he went to the Olympics in 1924. So after that, he went back to Scotland to finish his studies. He graduated in divinity and science. And the next year, in 1925, he went back to China to be a missionary. <laughs> missionary, yeah, like uh, Sharon. And, you know, it was a very dangerous time for him to return to China because uh, things were brewing uh, in China. Uh, the Japanese were creating a lot of troubles for China. And uh, in fact, they had already started to, uh, to war. There were battles and skirmishes and, and all that. And, and there were atrocities committed already. And they had already killed many people. And they had already burned many villages. And they had already destroyed a lot of crops. So when Eric Lindell arrived in China, it was what he saw was worse than what he expected, you know, recalling from what he, he, it was like when he was growing up in China. It was not the land he knew when, when he left the country. The Chinese whom he prayed for did not welcome foreigners anymore uh, because they were just bullied by, by foreigners. But anyway, he began uh, teaching. He taught people sports. That was strength. And, and life was not going to remain simple. The conditions uh, in China then grew from bad to worse. And the mission board chairman uh, then asked Eric whether he would be prepared to move to the area where he had grown up, you know, where, where his parents were pastors. So, but it, it was not a safe place. It was a remote place. And he prayed about it. Uh, no, the, the people there needed comfort and hope because of the Japanese uh, the, uh, de devastation in the area. So, um, so he prayed with his wife and he decided that he would go. So he went to that, that place. Then things got really bad. And um, he, anyway, he, he, just, he just soldiered on. Okay? And uh, ma many times he would be uh, carrying the injured to the hospital on his bicycles over rough roads, dodging gunfire because the war was on. Sometimes he would take the entire day to get to uh, a village, uh, uh, from the village to the hospital. And all this time, the Japanese was just taking more and more of the land and taking foreigners. And so it came to a point where he had to tell the wife, I think it's time for you to leave because uh, the advisory was that everybody should, should leave. So uh, his wife is Canadian. So uh, the wife was pregnant with the third kid. So they went back and he, he chose to remain. Uh, he joined the Red Cross, and the reason why he joined the Red Cross was because the Red Cross would give him uh, opportunity to gain greater access to the remote, more remote regions in China, and, and that was what he wanted. And during those years when uh, J uh, Japan invaded China, you know, people would just be wounded in the lying in the temples, and every, just so much help needed. He just had to remain there and, and do what he he could. And one, there was once when he received news that there was a man lying in the temple and uh, that the locals were uh, afraid to help him because they were fearful of the reprisal from the Japanese military. He heard about it. So he traveled two days back to that temple, the temple that he knew, and he stitched up 
a gash from the from this man's head all the way to the mouth because it was a botched execution beheading. And this man lived. This is what this is what Eric Lindell did. And eventually, um, you know, he was incarcerated. All all the young Yang Kui, everybody, I mean, all the foreigners were all uh, incarcerated. And he arrived in the prison with, uh, with many foreigners. Conditions were very, very bad. No running water. Bathroom didn't work. Uh, everybody was given only a small bowl of soup and bread every day. But he made the best that he could. He knew that he was going to be there for on the long haul, a long time. So he took care of the sick. He became a respected member, respected prisoner in the camp. Because of his good attitude, he continued to he set up a school in prison. He continued to teach the children and taught them, inspired them to, uh, to be active in sports and, and I mean, just raising the morale of the people, teaching the gospel. And then he was there only for two years. And then he suddenly died because he didn't know that he had a brain tumour. And one day he just felt very ill and the next day he was dead. And the news was devastating for the people uh, in the camp and, and in the neighbouring camps who, who, who knew him. And everybody just mourned for him. Uh, they got permission to make, uh, give him a, a, a proper barrier. And then the next day when there was roll call again, the Japanese had to account for all the prisoners. And uh, one of the prisoners said that, well, uh, Eric Lindell has died, he's not here. And he said that, uh, he told this, this Japanese guard, uh, Morimoto, about the significant things that Eric had done for everybody in the camp. And back in 1924, when he was an Olympic champion, and, and this Morimoto, of course, knew Eric. Morimoto said this, Linda-san, he was a Christian, wasn't he? He was a Christian, wasn't he? Yes. Let's make his mark. <laughs> The prison guards knew him. You see, when we walk in the light, as is in the light, you cannot hide the light because we are reflectors. All the love we receive, we give, and uh, all that God is, we reflect. It's, it's just natural. In fact, one day when I was having lunch with a friend, and uh, he said that he was uh, doing renovation to his kitchen and toilets and it was a very big mess, but he had to go back with his mate every day just to, you know, to inspect. And every day when he goes back, he would bring a big flask of coffee, hot coffee uh, for the, the workers. And they said, well, this, this tin of biscuits is for your workers and uh, coffee is for you. And every day he would do that. You know, at the end of the renovation, which is about a week, they, the, the supervisor asked, oh, Mrs. Ng, you're a Christian? Yes. Uh, how, how do you know? Ah, you Christians will do this kind of thing. Lah. Yeah. So, so natural. You know, it's agape love. It's like that. It affects the situation. It reflects God's love. It overwhelms darkness. And people are very surprised when, you, when agape love is flashed out because it, they're so used to selfishness, you see. And when they see an act of unselfishness, they just wonder, wow, it's great. Uh, another story of a man who, uh, well, this, this is the, the Hebrew uh, professor, you know, uh, Joseph Stowell's Hebrew professor. He said that one day, 
where he went to buy something and then uh, he was given too much change and he counter counted and then he walked back and said, no, no, you gave him too much change. And, he, and the, 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 uh, the retailer was, was just surprised, you know, that, wow, you, you are so honest. And, uh, and he said that, uh, well, you know, <laughs> I can't remember what he said, but it, it, it was something like, well, it's because Jesus has made a difference in my life or something like that. I, I don't think we will say that. <laughs> I don't say that, but but people, people do notice when we are unselfish, not because we want people to praise us, but because it's so natural. You know, it comes from God. So we must be diligent in the Word so that the, the Word of God can transform us. We must be diligent in the work so that we can transform the world that we are living in. So this is, the, this is the message I have for you. In the last days, there will be perilous times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, not lovers of God. But we are different. We are different because we are diligent. And the last light is the most beautiful. Come into the light and walk in the light. Hebrews 4.18 says this, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. And that defines our nature. We are the people of the light. We should be shining ever brighter and people should just recognize that we are the children like are you a christian you must be a christian yes be like this and therefore and thereby we bring glory to the father as the musicians come forward and we are going to respond to god and i will lead you in a prayer but now for a short time of reflection on your own Let's pray together. God, thank you for bringing us out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are the people of the light. Hallelujah. And God, not just that, thank you God for the work you are doing in us through the Rhema word changing us to to be like Jesus Christ and that's who we will be we, when we appear before you we will say we walk like Jesus did God help us we know Lord that the culture of the world is, does, does affect us we, we are influenced by the culture of the world we are bothered by what people think of us and what we achieve and what we have and how look we good. It has crept into our lives when, when we confess to you that we have dark cisterns, cisterns that, that cannot hold water and we are always chasing for something significant so that people can notice us. But Lord, we want to come back to you. 
we are turning back to you, to the light. We want to face your light. We know our significance is in you. Thank you, God, for who we are in Christ. Bring us back to you. And I want to pray for all of us, God. We, we know the importance of God's Word in our lives. We want to be diligent in the Word. It's not always enjoyable to read the Word, but we pray, Father, that you will, you will light it up. When we read, we will not read words. We will hear the voice, the voice of the Spirit. Speak to us distinctly. Help us not just to be different. Help us to be distinctive. And God, I pray that the Word will transform us and help us to be distinctive. And I pray, Father, too, that we will be diligent in our work. We will be the light. The world is just so dark. There is no, no place on earth that does not need our particular kind of light, the distinctive light. And I pray that by the grace of God, with the opportunities you offer us, we will make a difference. And I pray for this church. I thank you for the work we are doing in Taban Garden. If, if not for this work, there will be so few opportunities, opportunities, so much fewer opportunities for us to practice loving. I pray that you will give the leaders courage to stand for what you stand for. Not to be ashamed just because it is culturally not acceptable, that it is politically incorrect, but we will stand. We will stand for you even if it causes us ridicule and rejection. Help us, Father. We know, Lord, our prayer is, uh, you know, it's, just, it's not just words. It goes to you you hear our words and you will make it come true. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.